All right, this morning, the passage we're going to be looking at is Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. One of the challenges we have, of course, is this is a section of Scripture that my guess would be the majority, if not most, that would be the same thing, that most of us maybe have committed these to memory at some point in our life. And it's a little bit tricky sometimes when we're looking at very familiar passages to say, well, what does God have for me today in this? What is the, the truth I need to believe about God and what is the um, newness I need to find? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves so that no one can boast. Let's start by thinking about this way. Have you heard of this television show? It's called This Old House. Who's heard of this this old house, if you don't know anything about the show, what happens on the show is through the course of many episodes, they renovate these old homes, primarily in New England. I only know that because of how they talk. They talk funny. They probably think I talk funny, but they park the car and stuff. So, so you notice when you watch this show, this old house, the, the major part of the work, it, it seems like most of the work is tearing out the old parts of the house. Like, they're, they're going in and they're uh, discarding walls, they're discarding fixtures, they're discarding sheetrock and appliances. At times, they're discarding, it seems like, the entire house. In fact, at the beginning, you sort of wonder with this old house if maybe they're doing more harm than good. Are they going to actually fix the house or are they just going to slowly, over time, uh, destroy the thing? In fact, building new homes versus renovating a home is, is much more satisfying in the short term. I mean, you you have a new home, you flatten the ground out, and then the foundation goes on. Every day you go out, and there's a little bit more, then there's some walls, and then there's a roof, and then they start putting sheetrock and everything. Everything's new. The entire process on a new home is new. Then you get the keys, and you walked in, and it smells like a, like a new house, new carpet, new paint. While over at the old house, they're still carting out in wheelbarrows, wheelbarrows full of asbestos or whatever hazardous material they found, and they're inspecting the walls to see if they're actually structurally sound enough to uh, maintain and hold modern utilities and computer systems and electricity and renovating a house and remodeling a house is very different than building a, a new house. And here's what I want us to think about, and you're saying, well, why are we talking about this? The miracle of God's work of redemption in our hearts, as we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 2, is more like a remodeling project than it is like a new construction project. Is what we read again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You can look at it. We are God's what? Workmanship. God is working on us. Through the power of Christ, He died on the cross to redeem us from our sin, and He rose from the dead so that we could have life with Him forever. But now God, after uh, having received this newness of life by faith, God is now going to do a remodeling project on our life. You say, how is it like a remodeling project? Well, think about it this way. When sin entered the world, we have to understand God didn't just simply wipe the whole thing out and start over, did He? He just scraped the whole thing and said, forget it. Burn it all. I'm going to start over. And he didn't do that. He decided he would redeem a worshiping people for himself out of the brokenness of sin and out of the brokenness that we even brought about to uh, this creation. But you know, not our redemption is, is not only a remodeling project, but is a bit of a new construction project. Let me explain it this way too. Because God calls us a what? New creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 
God is doing something new now that he wasn't doing at the beginning. God is doing something different. Creation, when he created uh, everything, was one kind of work. The work of, of Christ is not merely trying to get things back to the way they were supposed to be. He's doing something new. He's going to make things better than they were even for Adam and Eve at the beginning. God is going to make all wrongs right. How is that even possible? God is going to take all the wrongs that have ever been done in your life and all of human history, and He is going to make them right again. Not one wrong will be unaccounted for. He's going to make everything not merely back to the way that it was before, but He's going to make things even better. Maybe, why are we talking about this? Are you wondering that? I am too, except I know where the sermon's going, so... Have you ever asked yourself this question in your own personal life as a Christian or someone who is curious about what the Bible teaches? What in the world is God up to? Have you ever asked that question? Whatever's going on in your life, you say, what in the world are you doing? And I'm sure you say, would say much more respectfully than I am. What is God doing? Is God at work in my life? If God is at work in my life, what is he doing? We ask these kind of questions because we want to know if God is actually involved in what's going on in our life, don't we? Well, I hope you do. We want to know is, uh, I'm looking at what's going on around in my, in my life. I'm looking at good things and bad things, upsides and downsides, and I wonder, is God at work in this, or is this just random uh, events of life? Or if things are going particularly rough for us, we may say, if God is working, how could this possibly be happening right now? Maybe that's been a place that you've been in your life. If not recently, you have been at some point. So to understand the work that God is doing is really important because it allows us to look at the events of our lives, whether the ups or the downs, and have an understanding from the Bible, not just our experience, not just our intuition, but an understanding from the Bible, what is God up to? And then I can look at what's going on in my life, and I can, I can look and see and say, well, now I see what God is doing here. So let's again look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and we're going to summarize sort of our thoughts on this passage this way. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the handiwork of God, the handiwork of God. Let me read again just verses 8 through 10, and then we're going to look at each verse on its own for a few minutes. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you're familiar with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. Who's heard that verse before sometime in your life? Okay, at least one. The handiwork of God. This first verse, I'm going to summarize it this way. This is God's remodeling project. For by grace you have been what? Saved. Here's God's great project in your life, your, His great project in humankind, His great project He's been planning about, thinking about, talking about since all of time, that we might be saved. And this word here, the way it's written, is critically important. It's a word where He says, you have been saved. The, the tense of this word is this, it's a completed action with ongoing results. You have been saved and are experiencing salvation ongoing. 
So we have to understand, as modern Christians, one of the things we have to use the Bible to challenge our thinking on, and we tend to think of salvation as conversion. What do I mean by conversion? So we might take an old Volkswagen and turn it into a camper. Well, sort of. A conversion is that moment in time where I said, I need to be saved from my sins. Some of us may have done that at a church service where God moved. I said, I'm a sinner lost. I need salvation. I trust Jesus. Maybe you did it at a crusade. Maybe you did it at home next to your bed. But that moment of salvation where we, uh, by the work of the Spirit, put our faith in Christ for salvation, and we are, and the word we often use is converted. Now, that is our salvation, but it's not all of it. We are saved in a moment when we trust Jesus, but our salvation keeps working itself out in our life, doesn't it? So one part of our salvation, the book of Romans calls it justification, which means our sin is forgiven and we're redeemed and made righteous. But another part of our salvation is the Christian life. And there's a fancy $10 theology word that we use for that. It used to be a $50 theology word, but inflation's brought the, brought the price down. The fancy theology word for salvation experience in the Christian life is what? Sanctification. So when we're saved, we're converted, we receive Christ, and we're in that moment. We're now in in Christ. But in the course of our Christian life, the Holy Spirit continues to work at us to make us like Jesus. And that's our salvation as a Christian. It's where we're experiencing the outworking of our salvation by the Holy Spirit. There's one other part of our salvation, I think most of us, it's our favorite part. It's the future salvation we have. We are guaranteed by the Spirit that one day we will go to glory. We will go to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. The Bible tells us we will be made like Him. So our salvation, sometimes I'm probably beating, beating a dead horse here, but our salvation we often think is this moment in time where I got saved. That's a part of it. Our salvation has a past, a present, and a future. We uh, receive salvation by, just, by faith, and we were justified. We were made righteous in Christ, and our salvation continues as Christians being made like Christ through the course of our life, and our salvation has a future in glory. And when we get there, the difficult part of our sanctification will seem like easy stuff. So our salvation, when we're saved, it's completed, yet it's an ongoing, transformative work of God in our life. By God's grace, He did not merely save us and then leave us to do nothing for the rest of our life. He saved us to make us like His Son, Jesus. Titus 2.11 and 14, let me just read it for you, has a a good way of summarizing this. Titus 2.11, 12, and 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and, excuse me, worldly passions, And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the, uh, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear the past, present, and future in there? Now listen for it. I'll read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. What's that? Conversion. Say, justification. I got saved training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, 
upright, godly lives in this present, li- in this present age. What is that, Christians? That's our sanctification, our salvation at work. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is that? The future part of our salvation. We, we, all of that is what God has in mind for our salvation. He saves us. This is His project for us. Thank God He's not so short-sighted in what He's going to do in our life. He, he doesn't merely want us to get into, into heaven. He does want us to be in heaven with Him forever, but that's, such, that's one thing. He also wants us, when we go into heaven, we're like Jesus. And He's going to do this work in us and through us, through the course of our life, remodeling our lives to make us more and more like Christ. Galatians 2.20 reads this way with this in mind. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for nothing. So this is what I want us to hear and understand, Christians, as we look at Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let me say it this way. For by grace you have been justified, converted through faith, right? When you got saved, and you're remembering to a day maybe where God moved and you said, Jesus save me. For by grace you have been justified through faith. For by grace you are being sanctified through what? Faith. Let's just pause there for a minute. Some of us as Christians are convinced the way we are sanctified is being really, really, really good. And it sounds very spiritual and noble and exciting. The problem is if you've been trying that for more than 10 minutes, you realized you're really, really lousy at being really, really good. And if your sanctification is dependent on your obedience, how's that going to work? Anybody else? It's not going to work. For by grace you have been and are being made like Jesus through faith. And for by grace you will experience your completed salvation in glory by what? As long as you are good enough between now and then? Oh, heavens no, by faith. Our whole salvation, the whole ball of wax is by faith. The whole ball of wax is because of Christ's grace. The Christian life is not one long effort to try and repay God for saving us from all of the bad stuff when we weren't saved. Have you ever thought that's your Christian life? The goal of my Christian life is to repay God for all the bad stuff He saved me from. Why would you have to repay God for stuff Jesus paid for? You don't have to, because Jesus paid it all. It is not mostly finished. It is what? Finished. The Christian life is not repaying God for saving us. The Christian life is an act of worship, a walk of worship, where we live in the tension of, I trust God to make me like Jesus, and I can tell I'm not like Jesus very much. The Christian life is a walk of worship where we say, God, do your work in me. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I want to live in obedience to you. But you know my heart. That even when I'm obedient to you, I do it for ulterior motives. God, may you make me like Jesus because I'm not very good at it. 
the handiwork of God is that He is doing a remodeling project in our life, and as Christians, we trusted Christ to save us. I'll ask it this way. Do you trust Jesus to make you like Him? Do you trust that He actually has the power to make you like, more like Jesus today than yesterday? Maybe we can think about it this way. Do you think you're better at being like Jesus than Jesus is? No, of course not. Maybe you're like me and we're tired of trying so hard. And it's time to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you do the thing. I'm going to obey. I'm going to, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. Not because I think it's some magic formula to get you to show up. I'm going to do those things because you're God and I'm not and I love you. The handiwork of God God is doing a remodeling project in us to make us like Christ, and He's making us like Jesus, and He's going to take us to glory because we trust Him, not because we need to repay Him for the bad things we have done. Now, we're going to notice here at the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, as we transition to another thought here, is this. For by grace you have been saved. Are you thinking about that word differently now? We're getting rid of just merely conversion and think of the Christian life, past, present, and future. For by grace we have been and are experiencing salvation through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the what? The gift of God. Of course, He only gives it to the people with the highest spiritual potential. He gives it to the people who are going to make the most of it. It is not a result of works Why would he do that? So that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. A critically important Christian virtue that comes out of a heart of worship to God who would save us by his grace is no boasting. A heart that is set on God in worship will let the boasting melt away because worship of God eliminates any of my sense of entitlement or any of my sense of of rightness. Any rightness I might have in worship, I acknowledge, does not come from me. It comes from Christ alone. And boasting is eliminated. How could I have access to God if I have no ability to claim rightness? Back in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement would roll around, and all of Israel would gather This is the one day of the year where the high priest would follow the prescripted law. He would have to do this and slaughter this animal and sprinkle this blood and take this bath and have these kinds of clothes on and say these kinds of words. And if he did everything right, they would tie a rope around his ankle and he would go into the Holy of Holies with the right kind of blood from the right kind of animal drained in the right kind of way. He would pour it in the right place. He only did so after lighting the right kind of fire, so the right kind of smoke was billowing about, so he wouldn't accidentally look upon God and turn into dust. He would pour out the blood, and if he did it wrong, what did they have to do? Pull on the rope, because he's not walking out. And Israel goes another year without atonement, because a dead priest does not atone. He's got to follow all the rules. What kind of good is a priest that if you can mess it up, we're going to miss out on atonement and we've got to wait for next year? Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have, I turned to the wrong passage. Hebrews chapter 4, not Galatians chapter 4. Since then we have a great 
high priest who has passed through the heavens, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He then can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins over and over and over again. But we have this, what kind of high priest? Great high priest who committed no sin, so no sin has to be, no sacrifice has to be offered on his behalf, and he goes into heaven on our behalf and offers his own blood on our behalf. And the author of Hebrews says, now draw near. Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies, and then he throws the curtain open and invites all of us in with him. He says, come on in. God is here. Everything's covered. He wants you near. The handiwork of God here we see is God's personalized gift to each of us as individuals. A personalized gift freely given to you. Personalized gift that you could not earn. It is not a gift to you that is generic. Generic salvation. God provides to you by the great high priest Christ, your salvation. It's different than my salvation. How is that possible? It's because you sin different than me. You're better at it. Well, I don't know. I'm just better at other sins. But we have to understand, Christ did not generically, well, I don't know you, I guess, salvation for people who believe. We have the great high priest who provided on the cross the personalized salvation you individually needed. Whatever that great, ugly monster of a sin is that you're so worried about, he said, yeah, no, no, I, I paid for that. For you personally. It is freely given, personalized gift to us. We love these kind of gifts at Christmas time. Where somebody who takes the time and care to know individually what we love and care about and engraves our name on a particular item that they know we would be passionate about. This is the handiwork of God in our salvation. He provides you your salvation. He goes into the Holy of Holies and pours out His blood in particular for your particular kinds of sins, the ones you have done, the one you're doing right now. Yeah, we know. And the one you're planning on doing next week. And by His grace, He has atoned your sin. It's freely given, personalized gift just for you. When we look at the cross, we realize this, as one author pointed out. When we look at the cross and realize how He had to die for us individually, we're much worse than we ever could have imagined. But when we look at the, at the handiwork of God through salvation in Christ, his, his crucifixion, His burial, and His powerful resurrection, we say, in Christ, I am no longer worse than I think. In Christ, I'm better than I could ever imagine.
God gives us His personalized salvation. Individually, He's working out His salvation in our lives. He redeems us as individuals. He's sanctifying us over the course of our life as individuals. And when we get to heaven, we are going to experience heaven in an individual way together. Maybe you've asked that question of yourself when you look at the life of people around you. You say, well, God, how come they're getting all the good stuff? How come, how come things are going so well for them and, and my life? God, I would, I would call it a train wreck, Lord, but that's an insult to train wrecks. And maybe you don't want to hear it, but this is God saying, listen, I'm, I'm working on just, just you, just right. Just right. I have something in particular for you. I'm not generically just throwing trouble your way to see if you'll love Jesus more. He is thinking and planning and scheming what tomorrow is going to hold, and every moment of your day tomorrow in God's mind is His effort and His work by grace to make you more like Jesus. Not a moment is overlooked. Not one thing is happening by accident. He is customizing your salvation for your individual heart. He has freely given His gracious work of salvation to us. This should be encouragement to us as Christians. Sometimes as Christians, we look at people around us and we say, well, I'm never going to be a, as good of a Christian as them. Billy Graham just celebrated his 99th birthday. And uh, are you familiar with Billy Graham? Is that? And, and you look at his life, well, I'm never going to be Billy Graham. First of all, you can say that and you say, thank the Lord. We already have one. Don't need another one. But we, we need one of you. Because Christ individually said, I need, I, need, I need one of you. And in the kingdom of God in Christ, there is no small things. In the kingdom of God in Christ, there's no such thing as a small thing. And in the kingdom of God in Christ, there's no such thing as a real big thing. In Christ, there's just things in Christ. You think when Billy Graham attracted a, the world record crowd of some several million people that God in heaven, wow, boy, I never imagined he'd have a crowd that big. No, God in heaven, he's like, that's a nice small group. I mean, good for you. Good job, Billy. I mean, God is not impressed. What is God impressed with? Jesus. And in Jesus, there's no small thing in our life. When God does a small thing that sometimes in our life we do a small thing and, 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 and we think, well, it's not that big a deal, I guess. I don't, I don't amount to much. Mopey, mopey. God, what are you talking about? Jesus did that in you. That's amazing. And then sometimes when maybe we do something, we think it's something, some big deal. I made it three days without hollering at my kids. Well, of course, we're glad. We're thankful for that, right? Good for you. You know, simmer down a little bit, little camper. We tend to, in our boasting, make our small things a pity part. Well, I don't amount to much. In our boasting, we make our big things, we think they're a bigger deal than they are. If you're a Christian here today and you're characterizing your life by small things, when we read the, the Bible, when we look at the work of God in our life and we say there are no small things, we need to understand this. The small things of our life, we're in the big game. 
This is, a, this is a, a contest of eternity that Christ is working out in us. And when he works out in us, patience in our family and devotion in our marriage and faithfulness to the body of Christ and generosity to the needy, and nobody knows about it, these are not small things. We're in it. These are big things because Christ is working out himself in us. Couple of passages to touch on real quick. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-six, Paul says, or yeah, Paul says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing to those things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We may be weak, but God is strong in us, and He is doing something that is bigger than we could imagine. If you could see into eternity and see what God is working out in the small things of our weak and frail lives, we would say, praise God for what He is doing. One other verse, I don't want to skip it. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must be put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What's our future? Imperishable, immortality in Christ's present. Today we are weak. One day we will be strong, and we'll look back at the work he did, and we say, holy cow, I had no idea you were up to that. I had no idea you were taking those small individual moments that nobody knew about in the privacy of my own home, in my own place, and I thought nobody cared and nobody saw, and God, you were doing that with that? There are no small things because there is no boasting in the Christian life because his salvation for us is freely given and his salvation that we're living out is personalized to our life. All right, let's look at the last verse here, verse 10. We have to understand in terms of what God is doing by our salvation, not only uh, what we are and what we will be, but we have to understand uh, kind of the purpose behind uh, this great work of salvation. So let me read verse 10 here. And again, usually when we memorize verses uh, 8 and 9, we, we don't always memorize verse 10, but it gives us the purpose for it. We are God's, uh, for we are His, what? workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are the handiwork of God. In fact, according to this, I want to summarize this section this way. We are God's workmanship that He is working in us. In us. So God is going to do a work in us to make us like Christ so that we do Christ's work. We do the good works of Christ. So we, we trust God and He saves us. We experience salvation in our, in our Christian life. We call that sanctification. And over the course of time, as we become like Christ, we do Christ things. 
We love our neighbors, ourselves. We uh, walk in purity. We uh, devote our time to knowing God's Word. We spend time in prayer. We uh, walk away from the passions of this world and uh, lots of different things. We'll look at a number of them here. But we, we do these things because God is making us like Jesus. So the works of Christ ought to come out of someone who's like Jesus. I mean, that's what you would expect. Someone's like Jesus, the, the work of their life is to be uh, look like the works of Christ. So what are these good works that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 2.10? He says, uh, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, we don't have time to read them all today, but I'll give you the passage of where they are. You ready? It's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. So he says, I, I want, I'm going to create you in Christ for good works. And you say, well, what are those good works? Well, the way Ephesians is laid out is chapters 1, 2, and 3 is he tells us the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And then he says in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, here's what happens when that happens to you. Here's what walking with Christ will look like as he makes you like him. In fact, as he makes us like Christ, we're going to see a lot of different things uh, show up in our life. But here, before we get to that, let's look at one or two things. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. How much of the good works have you done did God not know about? God knew about all of the works he was going to have you do. He preordained every good thing you would do. Every good thing that you have ever planned to do, you say, you know what? I love God. I love my family. I love my neighborhood. I love my church. You know what I ought to do? I ought to, I ought to do this, whatever might be your thing. I volunteer some time. I had to give some money to this uh, organization that helps the poor. I had to uh, pray for my neighbor that he might uh, not be sick or might find Christ. That's a good thing. And when you did that thing, God was like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Wow, that's pretty good. I'd set the bar kind of low for you. No, every, every good thing we have ever done was, in fact, not even our effort. It was God doing a work in us. When we get to that moment and say, you know what I ought to do? God says, welcome to the party. Been here all day. And now I have formed Christ in you so that you can experience your salvation in this moment by acting like Jesus. We discover here that for God, salvation is not merely get saved and hang out for heaven. A lot of Christians, we base our, our Christian life on this. I'm going to get saved and then hang out Make sure I don't do anything really bad, and heaven will come one day. And, and what we see in Ephesians, a, div, a completely different view of salvation. He saves us so we can live saved like Jesus and experience our full salvation and glory one day. We've seen this a number of times in the Bible. Do you remember Abraham? God called Abraham out of the land of Ur and said, go to a land that I will give you, Right? And the Bible says in Genesis, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. He got saved. So then he went to the promised land, built a tent, and waited to die. He said, heaven's coming. No, it's not what he did at all. God called him in his life to walk in the righteousness God had given him. And what did the walk of Abraham look like? Let's just pick a couple of ideas. Abraham, as righteous, gave his wife away to another man twice. I mean, you'd think the first time he'd learn his lesson. He said, well, how could a righteous man do that? We have to understand how salvation works. He is saved, and now his salvation is being worked out in him. He's not home yet. 
Can a righteous man make such a terrible mistake? Of course. Does that throw all of God's plans off? Of course not. God is working out in Abraham's life in all of his mistakes, along with all of his victories that God mapped out for him when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want to offer you, or I should say this, I want you to offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, okay, I'll do it. Was that because Abraham was some stellar religious figure? No, it was because God had done a work in his heart to bring him to that place. Abraham had nothing to boast about. The book of Hebrews tells us that. He says the reason he did it is because he knew God would raise him from the dead. Abraham was called by God, walked with God, with his many mistakes, and as we know from the author of Hebrews, is with God in glory. God is doing a work in us to do good works. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but God is going to do a work in us faithfully over the course of our life. Look with me, or listen briefly to 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Excuse me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled to Himself reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So if God is doing a work in us so that we might do Christ's work, what is Christ's primary work? Reconciling the world to himself. So one of the primary ways we see the work of God working out in us is when we participate in the work of reconciliation. When we tell the good news to the people who need to hear good news. When we tell Christians who are discouraged in their sins that a Christ has saved them and His grace is sufficient. When we tell non-believers they need to place their hope in Christ for salvation, we participate in a work of reconciliation. All right, we're going to finish with this. I got four ways from Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that we see the workmanship of God worked out in us in uh, Christ. So Ephesians 4, 1, I'm going to read four or five verses very quickly. Thank you for bearing with me here. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, having been saved by Christ, what should we do in worship? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He is telling us this. We need to walk a Christian life. We need to seek to walk our Christian life in holiness to love Christ rather than the passions of this world. We should pray that God would do a work in our heart, that we would love Christ more than the things of this world and the passions of this world and the lusts of our flesh. He's saying we don't do it in order to curry favor with God. We do this because Christ has loved us so much. And we ought to walk in a manner worthy of His calling, to walk in uh, holiness. Flip over to Ephesians 5 verse 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says to us as Christians in the church, how should we walk? In love. 
He says, one of the ways we see Christ worked out in us by God himself is that we express love for one another, sacrificial love. And sacrificial love is very simple. It's when you show love to someone who does not deserve your love. That's the kind of love Christ showed to us. So one of the ways that we show love to one another is to be willing to sacrifice for one another, both in the body of Christ, in our community, and in our families. He says one of the ways we see Christ worked out in us is to walk in love, a sacrificial love for one another. Ephesians 5.15, just two more examples and then we'll, and then we'll close. Excuse me, Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look carefully how you walk. As Christ has worked out in us, how ought we to walk, he says. We should walk not as unwise, but as those who are wise. In particular, he says this, make the best use of the, what? Time. Okay, now he's meddling. Tell me what I need to do. You can have all kinds of stuff. You can't have my time. And one of the ways that we uh, see Christ worked out in us is over time we say, how can I steward my time? How can I steward my life? God knows precisely how many years I have left. How much of my time am I going to devote to these things? I want to be wise about it. I want to be wise. Is my, is my time devoted to the work of God in Christ or is it primarily devoted to my own interests and pursuits? And again, he's not saying I need to curry favor with God by doing nothing other than reading my Bible. He is saying, as Christ is formed in me, I want to be wise with the use of my time. We only have so much. We become more aware of this as the years uh, go by. Okay, last verse, Ephesians 6.10, and then we'll close. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We walk strong in Christ. And in Christ, we, by the power of the gospel, putting on the full armor of God, we remind ourselves day in and day out, uh, the work of Christ in my life, I can stand against the schemes of the devil. Sometimes in our walk with Christ, the best we can do is a stand. And sometimes to stand, we need to be reminded over and over again of the salvation we have through Christ, the breastplate of righteousness. Has the devil ever whispered in your ear that you're really, really evil? No? Have you ever heard? Oh, boy, if, if everybody knew. And God says, no, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Does that mean I need to be good? No, he says, trust Christ's righteousness, that the righteousness of Christ is affixed to me, and there, now, therefore, in Christ I am righteous, and I can stand against the schemes uh, of the devil. All right. The handiwork of God. We are the handiwork of God. He works on us, he works in us, and he works uh, through us. Just a couple of points to sum up, sum up and then we'll close uh, with a couple of songs. Um, God's work in us is a work of recreation. 
Thankfully, he did not decide, even though we were sinners and dead in our sins, to just wipe us out and start over. Instead, he decided to take broken sinners and make us new in him and and to work in us through the miraculous work of Jesus Christ. We're new, but we're still us. God makes us new, but he doesn't take away who we, we are. He takes our hearts of rebellion and he gives us hearts that can trust Christ. He gives us hearts that can rest in the finished work of Christ. And we can say, because of the work he did in our heart, one day I'll see him uh, in glory. The work of Christ leaves us uh, no room to boast. God has done all the work to save us. God has done all the work to redeem us. Our salvation from the moment we were saved to the Christian life to the life we look forward to in heaven is 100% the work of Christ in us. There is no room for, for boasting because all of our Christian life, all of our salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. God is the one who does the work. We are the ones who do the trusting. The work he is doing is actually personalized to each and every one of us in our life. So let me point out this. When each one of us becomes more like Jesus, we don't, in fact, become more like one another. Did you hear what I said? As you and I both, by the grace of God, become more like Jesus, we don't become more like uh, one another. Jesus in me is different, in fact, than Jesus uh, in you. Our backgrounds, uh, our, our experiences, the way God has made me, the way God has made you, the way God has made each one of us, is as we uh, grow and become more, more like Christ, our unity is in Christ, but He uses the diversity of who we are to do His greatest work. The, the, the church is marked not so much that everybody becomes the same. The church is marked by the fact that we have Christ-likeness in our dissimilarity. God's work in us is a, is a miraculous work because God is not merely working for us. He is working uh, in us. When we think that God is working for us, it means we're hoping that God will uh, do something that we might experience that might benefit us. We hope that God will do something where we can say, God showed up in my life. And in fact, when we do that, God becomes nothing more than our puppet. But God is doing much more than merely answering our prayers or our whims. He is doing a work in us that we might become more like Jesus, that at some point in our life we might praise God and say, God did a work in me, and Jesus did a work in me, not because of me, but in spite of me. That's the work of Christ uh, in us. A couple of thoughts here to close. Just this. Maybe, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to skip some time stuff for the sake of time. I'm going to leave out the best Parts of my sermons. <laughs> so you say, well, the sermon was average at best. I'll say, well, the, the, the good sermon I chose not to preach. All right. All right. Just this one last thought, and then we'll be done. Maybe it's time that we, we realize that we're not the source of the impressive stuff in our life. You know the Bible. You spend time in prayer. Uh, you avoid temptation. You practice hospitality. You help the less fortunate. Uh, these are fantastic things. And you have no reason to boast. I have no reason to boast. To the degree that these things are works of God in our life, 
we have to understand that they are just that, works of God. They're not from us. We have no reason to boast. The only thing we have to boast in, according to the Bible, is Christ. Christ saved a sinner like me. In fact, the biblical perspective is this, that in spite of me, God has done great things through me for His glory because He wants to make me more like Jesus. Every idea for every good thing we have ever done, God had it for us first. And when we actually do a good thing, it's only because God decided in eternity past to bring you to a place that you would be like Jesus enough that in that moment you would do a good thing. No boasting, only praising and resting in the finished work of God. Is God working? He's working miraculously in each and every one of us. He's making us more and more like Jesus.